Good morning. It's good to see you guys. For those that are joining online, welcome in uh, to this moment with us. For those of you that are in the room, uh, we love it that you guys have chosen to join us today to worship Jesus, to celebrate that he does bless his children. We're going to talk about that more, that God is our perfect heavenly father. And we say amen to all of that. What we're saying, if you're new to church, is we're agreeing together in the Lord. So that's why we said amen so many times. Some of you are wondering, why do we keep on saying this? We're agreeing together in the Lord that what he says is true about you as a child of God is true, whether you feel like it or not. That's exactly what we're going to talk, talk about today. We are in week eight of a series entitled Beloved in the book of 1 John, and we're going to jump right in the passage this morning. So if you're at home, grab a Bible. If you're in the room, grab a Bible, pull it up on your phone and head to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 19 through 24. So if you're new to the Bible, go to the back of your Bible. Just turn back a little bit. You'll find 1 John. We are in chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And if you take notes, the title for today's sermon is Condemnation and Confidence. Condemnation and Confidence. Read this with me, starting in verse 19 of chapter 3, 1 John. It says this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And, what, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Again, if you take notes, our first point, here's where we're going, is godly confidence is available to you. We see that in verse 19. Look at the start of that verse. John starts off with this, by this, and he's going to say we can know, but he says by this, he's pointing us back to the previous verse. What is this? How can we know that we know God? It's by this that, verse 18, that a believer in Jesus loves not just in word, but in deed. John says that clearly. If you were here last week, you heard it clearly, right? We talked about, I talked about that. I'm not going to just talk about how we shouldn't just talk about love, that we want to love indeed. And so last week, if you were here in both services, we took an opportunity to do just that. This defining characteristic of a believer in Jesus Christ, it's to love one another. It's not just to come to church. It's not to dress a certain way. It's not to put a fish on the back of your car. It's to love indeed. And so we, right then in that moment, we said, we just want to obey God's word and do that. So we called you, if you were here, to this initiative, Love Fosters, and to partner with Christian Family Care, that earlier that week we had reached out and just said, hey, we want to love indeed. How can we do that? And they said, how about this? Why don't you guys provide car seats for expecting families, expecting a foster kid? Why don't you just provide car seats? They're expensive. If a family has a car seat right day one when they get that foster child, that means so much to them. And we have 10 families that are ready for that car seat. And so uh, I just, as the pastor, just said, hey, I think we can do that before asking you. It was a little scary. But that Sunday, uh, we called to, to do what John said and to love indeed. And right in that moment, in the services, our live stream was actually down. You guys couldn't even participate, which we were super bummed about. But you guys crushed it. Not only did we provide 10 car seats, we provided 22 car seats. So yeah, you can clap for that. Uh, I believe the, the total was $3,375. Love moves, amen? 
loving indeed. This is the defining mark. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, this is what Christianity is about. And I know you may see some other things in the news. This is what it's about. We love one another. That's evidence that we know a God who loves us. That's the way it works. And so John gives us some confidence already. He says, by this, you will know. What is this? It's loving one another. And he says, by this, you will know that confidence in God is available to you. Look later in that verse 19. He says, the goal is to reassure. Literally, that means to convince or to set at rest our hearts, that confidence is available to you. We see it again in verse 24. It says, and by this, he says it again, we know that God abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The reason you have the Holy Spirit of God is so you would have confidence in God, that you know him. The purpose statement of the whole book of 1 John is this, 1 John 5, 13. John says, I write these things to you. Here's why he writes the whole letter, get ready, to who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So pop quiz, question, and you can respond to this. Does God want us to know that we know him. Yes. Right? He makes that abundantly clear. He wants you to know that you know him. So some of you walk in here this morning and you don't feel that way. You, you feel like God's not a, a perfect father who wants you to have confidence in him as his kid. You, you don't see God as a perfect father. You see God as a power-hungry boss. Right? And you feel like, man, every time my head hits the pillow at night, it's a performance review. Did I do enough? Am, am I attaining the, the approval of my father? Maybe tomorrow, maybe I'll do some things, some better things tomorrow, and then I'll, I'll finally get it. And it always just feels a little bit past your reach. And John says, no, 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 no. God is a perfect father. I, see, I'm a flawed father. I have three kids. And every night before my kids go to bed, I tell them three things. I tell them, I love you. I like you. Because I can love you, but not like you. Amen? <laughs> I love you. I like you. I look them in the eyes. And I'm proud of you. Why? Why do I say that? Because I'm their father. Oh, nothing more than my kids to have confidence. I don't want them to have condemnation. I don't want them to have doubt. I don't want them to have anxiety, worrying about whether their dad loves them. I want them to have confidence. So that on a Saturday, like it happened yesterday, when my son, who's eight years old, is playing soccer. And I'm that dad on the sideline who's yelling way too much. And now that I have an 11-year-old who's very perceptive and who once played soccer but doesn't anymore, she's telling me after the soccer game, Dad, you got to stop yelling so much. My 11-year-old, putting me in check, right? She's like, Dad, you got to stop. You're making him anxious out there. And I'm like, what? It's like a blur to me, right? I don't, I don't remember yelling, but I was. And I'm like, was I really yelling? And, and I have to, at the end of that night, make sure he knows, hey, Dad's not the yelling guy on the sidelines. Dad's your father. I love you, I like you, I'm proud of you. No matter how you did in soccer, what goes on in school, why? Because I'm a father, and I'm a flawed father. Verse 21, John reminds us once again, he says it five times, you're the beloved child of God. God, he could have picked any imagery to describe our vertical relationship with him. He chose on purpose father to child. Nine times in the book he calls his children. To remind us over and over, you have a relationship with God like this. He doesn't want you to walk in condemnation or doubt or wonder or keep you on your toes. He wants you to have confidence so that you know, so that you know. That's the whole point of the book of 1 John. 
is that we might walk in confidence. So that when you're worshiping, you don't have to wonder, like, do I, can I raise my hands fully or just halfway? Because I did that thing last night. So maybe I'm a hypocrite if I raise them. Like some of that's going on in your head. We don't have to think that. Some of you people ask you to pray, and you're like, oh, you don't understand who you're asking to pray. We don't have to have that kind of doubt. We can walk with confidence because of who God says we are, because of who he is and his very character and nature. He is our perfect father. He sees us as kids. And John desperately wants you to know confidence in God is available to you. That's not the only thing he wants you to know. The second thing, if you take notes, godly confidence is greater than you. Godly confidence is greater than you. Look at verse 20 with me. He says, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Two things I want you to see about that verse. The first thing is this. I love that he says, for whenever, not if ever, our heart condemns us. You need to know that this will happen to you. There will be moments in your life where you will doubt God. And why is that encouraging? Why is it encouraging that he says, whenever and not if ever? Here's why. It's because many of us doubt God because we doubt God. Many of us feel more condemned because we think God is condemning us, right? We, think, we don't think he's doing that with anybody else. Like maybe you walked in here this morning and you do see some people dressed nice. You see they knew exactly where to turn in their Bible to get to 1 John. And you're like, well, man, all those people, they must be confident in God all the time. And what does that do? That doubt starts to breed more doubt. That condemnation starts to breed more common, con condemnation. And so John's trying to let you know, hey, we're all going to go through this. When it happens, here's what you do. But notice where he says this condemnation comes from. Look at the text with me. For whenever our heart condemns us. Now, as I read that, I thought, is that a typo? Uh, John, are you sure it's not whenever Satan condemns us or whenever sin condemns us? Like, that must be what you're talking about. And he says, no, it's your heart. And that's confusing for us because the heart in the Bible is in stark contrast to the heart in our culture. Like, whenever I think heart or follow your heart, listen to your heart, I think of the 1980s pop song, Listen to Your Heart. Hey, anybody else? I think about Sandlot. Anybody seen Sandlot? One of the best movies ever made. We bought it on DVD last week. Some of y'all didn't know DVDs still exist. They do, and we bought it because we needed that movie in our home, right? So we're showing it to my kids, and there's that fantastic moment where uh, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, God bless that guy, <laughs> so fast, and there's that ball that, that they lost that has Babe Ruth written on it, and it's over the fence, and Hercules, that big dog, is guarding that, dog, that ball, and they can't get it, and they're trying all these different things, all these little machine operations, and all these different creative ideas to get that ball, and then one night, Benny the Jet Rodriguez has an epiphany in his room. How's it go? Babe Ruth comes out of his closet with a big glow behind him, right? And Babe Ruth, one of the things he says, he talks about heroes and legends and all these things. Go read that comment on your own. But he says, follow your heart. You can't go wrong. And that's what propels Benny the Jet Rodriguez to run as fast as he can, jump over the fence and get that ball, right? And then proceed running throughout town being chased by Hercules, right? And we think of moments like that. We think of Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, he said this, he said, have the courage. You're courageous if you follow your heart. Have the courage to follow your heart. And as we look at our culture, that's how we view the heart. That's very different than the way the Bible describes your heart. Okay? Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. 
The heart is deceitful above all things. What's the most deceitful thing you can think of? The heart's more deceitful than that. Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23, this is from Jesus. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come this, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Where do they come from? Without? From within, from your own heart. That we can be condemned by our own heart. It's like a courtroom. And if you can picture a courtroom, that the, the prosecutor is your heart. And he's making his case against you. And he's bringing up that sexual sin that you're trying to forget about from your past. And he's bringing about that conflict with your spouse that isn't resolved yet. And he's bringing about that sin that was committed against you. And he's bringing up all these doubts. And, and who do you think you are? And why could you ever pray? And he's just making accusation, accusation, accusation. Your heart is the prosecutor. And he's bringing accusation after accusation. And shame begins to well up in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. And it begins to overtake you. That's what the Bible says our heart does to us. And so we need to know what John tells us, something is greater than our heart, and it's God. That, that our heart is deceitful about anything you can think of. It's the most deceitful thing. It's really great. It has a lot of power. We all need to recognize that. It can bring a case against us. But it's just the prosecutor. God is the judge. He's greater than our heart. You see, we need to understand this because many of us will have a distorted humility about us. Maybe even we walk in a church room like this or we'll be around other Christians and we'll just say things that seem humble like, man, I don't know if God could forgive me because I've done so much. Like, I don't know if God's grace is sufficient for me. And I don't want to be, and it's risky grace. I don't want to cheapen God's grace. And we'll say things like that. And some of that is from a good place because we don't want to cheapen God's grace. But some of that is a distorted humility that says our heart trumps God. That this prosecutor is greater than this judge. And John is making clear, no, 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 here's how it works. God is greater than our heart. He's the judge. The best your heart can do. Let's put it in its place. He can prosecute you, but he can't judge you finally. Only God does that. Right? And so what do we do when our heart is accusing us? What do we do? I think for most of us, here's how the conversation goes. That sexual sin, that pride, that lust, that gossip, that greed. Hey, you know that thing you forgot about? I'm going to bring that up right now in this moment. And our heart does that. It's prosecuting us over and over. And it's just our heart and it's us. And many times we never involve God into that conversation. So what do we need to do? We need to involve God in the conversation. We need to speak declaration in the midst of our condemnation. Right? I have three kids, and when we first got to Phoenix... I saw this in a vivid way. My oldest daughter, who's now 11, she was five at the time. And we came to Phoenix, there was a lot of turmoil around our lives, a lot of crazy things going on. It was a difficult time, that first year especially for our family. And I remember one time I was in my study getting ready for Sunday sermon. And my five-year-old daughter at the time, she comes in my room and she's written something on a piece of paper. And she just wrote this. My daughter's name is Neela. She wrote, Neela is not. And so I had to ask her, Neela, what does that mean? And she said, Neela is not in the family. 
Now, dads, come on now. I mean, that was just like, we moved to Phoenix and all these crazy things were going on. I always thought as a pastor and moving into a different place, like one day my kids will need counseling. But I didn't think at five years old, I didn't think at five years old my daughter would come in and think, I'm not even in this family anymore. I thought that was like preteen drama we were going to encounter. And so in that moment, I called my wife and we had a family meeting and we had to involve her parents in this conversation she was having with her heart. Her heart made an accusation. It was the prosecutor. But guess what? I'm the dad. I'm the judge. I get to make the final declaration as the father. I get to say, you know what my last name is? Birdwell. You know what your last name is? Birdwell. And um, even if you want to be outside of this family, you're not going to be. Even when you get married one day, when you're 25 or 35 or 45, you're still in this family. You bear my last name. And I get to say that because I am your dad. You're the child. You see, she was having this conversation with her and her heart, and she never brought the judge in. She never brought her dad in. But when she brought him in, she began to see, hey, there's confidence even in the midst of this condemnation. Some of you guys this morning, it's you and your heart. Y'all are best buddies, and you need to break up that friendship and bring your dad in and have him speak declaration in the midst of your condemnation. You need to have him speak things like John 3, 17. That for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To speak declaration in the midst of your condemnation like Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Romans 8.33 says it plainly, who shall bring any charge against God's, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Again, a legal term, justification. Picture that courtroom. Prosecution, pro, prosecution's coming after you. Your heart is coming after you. Yeah, that sin you committed that you remember. Yeah, that sin that you don't remember. And all these different things and all the ways you don't measure up and all the ways you're not who you're supposed to be and that prosecution is coming against you. And Paul says clearly, who can bring that charge against you? It's God who justifies. Not the pros, not your heart. And that we have to speak this declaration. We have to involve God in this conversation that we're having with our hearts. Do you do that? Do you know God's word well enough? This is where it really gets, hits home. Do you know God's word well enough, the truth of God's word? We're in the midst of that accusation. You cannot ignore the accusation, but recognize it and pull it out and hold it up parallel to the word of God and say that accusation, what my heart's saying about me, does that measure up to what God says about me? Does that measure up to what God's word says about me? And in the moment, you can begin to say, no, 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 I'm speaking declaration in the midst of this condemnation. Do you know God's word well enough to do that? Do you have God's word ready to do that? That's what John wants for you. That's what God wants for you, to walk in that kind of confidence, to lean on him, to invite your perfect heavenly father, your judge, into this conversation. John says it this way, that he sees everything. Some of you are thinking, Tim, I thought you were trying to encourage us. <laughs> he sees everything. That, has, that actually is encouraging. You know why? God sees your sin. He sees the things you did. He sees the commission. He sees the things you didn't do. He sees the omission. 
He sees the deeds, but he also sees the thoughts. And some of you are thinking, Tim, where's the encouragement? Here's the encouragement. God sees it all. He sees your sin, but he also sees his sinless son. God sees your past, but he also sees your future. He sees your future that 1 John 3 talks about earlier in the chapter, that what you are is not what you will become. That when you see him, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. God knows the whole story. Your heart is selective. God is comprehensive. You ever notice your heart will pick out those specific things? It doesn't tell you the whole story. It just picks out those specific sins, those specific comments that somebody said to you when you were in high school. It just picks out those specific things, and those begin to condemn you. God who sees everything, the broader redemptive story, he's your judge. He declares the truth of who you are. And it's a confident child of God. Do you know that? Did you walk in here? Listen, did you walk in here with that kind of confidence? If not, why not? Is it just your heart talking to you all the time, or is God talking to you? We need to invite God into this conversation. John is desperately calling us to do just that. Our last point is this. Godly confidence is available to us. Godly confidence is greater than us. And our last point is godly confidence will always change us. We say that in verse 22, he says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now I have to clarify, some of you are thinking, okay, so I'm liking this. This is the confidence. If I'm confident walking with God, whatever I ask of him, I will receive. And so, God, please give me that Tesla. Like, some of you are thinking, God, I asked for the Tesla six months ago. Whatever I ask, (laughs) I will receive. Where is it at? So you have to keep reading the Bible. Yeah, keep reading the Bible with me. He continues, and he says, because you keep his commandments. He goes on to define what his commandments are. Believing in the name of Jesus, the totality of his person and work, and loving each other by the power of the Spirit of God that he mentions in verse 24. These are his commandments. It's believing in the name of Jesus, his person, his work, and loving one another. That as we do these things, in that vein, as we become more like God, whatever we ask, we will receive. It's the same thing Jesus says when he says, whatever you will ask in my name. Again, we get a lot of father-to-child imagery in the book of 1 John and the whole Bible. So for me as a dad, here's how it works. If my kid asks me something like, Dad, can I eat my vegetables? What am I going to say? Yes. If my kid comes up to me later today and says, Dad, can we throw the ball together? What am I going to say? Yes. I'm the same guy who was yelling at you about it. Of course, I'm going to be, yeah, let's take this opportunity. If my kid asked me, can we read the Bible together? What am I going to say? Yes. Can we pray together? What am I going to say? Yes. Now, if my kid asked me, can I binge eat all my Halloween candy from last night? What am I going to say? No. Why? Because that's not in alignment with my will for him. Right? That's not my desire for him. That's not in keeping with my commandments that I've laid out for them. So I'm going to say no to that. See, what John's trying to paint the picture of is you are a confident child of God who is walking so closely with your heavenly Father, speaking declaration in the midst of accusation. As you are walking that way, that here's what will change. Not just your circumstances that you pray for to change. It's what you ask for to change about your circumstances. It's the way you pray will change. God will begin to change your prayer requests. And as he aligns those with him, 
Yeah, he'll, he'll say yes to those things. As you ask God, like, God, help me to love one another. That's a defining trait of a believer. Help me to do that. Help me to love my wife. He'll begin to supply that need. In confidence, you can know that, and you can come to him that way. So as we hear accusations from our heart, may you hold it out and measure it against the truth of God's word. May you see as your sin condemns you. Some of you are feeling that today. Some of you can think about when I mention, when I mention lust or pride or gossip or greed, you just start playing back the tape in your mind. I can remember doing those things. And some of you, that's accusations. It's speaking condemnation. And some of you need to speak declaration over that. Declaration like 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So you need to have some conviction, but not condemnation. Conviction that leads you to confession. And so as you hold that accusation out, whatever it is for you, you know what it is. Whatever it is for you, as you hold it up against God's word, 1 John 1, 9, what do you need to do? Be condemned? Doubt? No. You need to confess. Right? As you hold that accusation of, hey, you're not enough, you see 1 John 3, hey, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And as you hold that accusation out, hey, you're you're not enough. Who do you think you are? You can't pray to God. You can't sing to God. Put your hands down. Why are you so confident? You hear that inner voice, that inner accusation that you hold up next to that. See what kind of love the Father has given us. He's given it to me. It's a gift. I, I hold that gift now, even in this moment. Yes, I can celebrate. Psalm 16, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Yes, I can celebrate. Yes, I can raise my hands. Yes, I can proclaim his gospel. Not because of who I am, but because who, who he says I am in Christ. That you would hold out the accusation of God's done with you. And again, 1 John 3, you would remember and hold up that truth, that declaration in the midst of that condemnation that what we will be has not even appeared yet. God's not done with you. What you will be has not even appeared yet, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That you would begin to hold that up. In the midst of that accusation, you would see God's declaration over your life, and you would have confidence. I was thinking about it this week. Um, I experience this. I experience accusations. I think we all do in different ways. Again, John says, whenever, not if ever. And one of them was just this week. And it was after Sunday, honestly, a great Sunday. We had a great service. Again, I just told you guys, we provided 22 car seats for foster families. It was a great Sunday. Not only was it a great Sunday, but Saturday, we had a community group leader training where we invited our community group host and our leaders in this room, and we prayed for you guys to get in groups. We prayed for them, and we walked through that. And we had a youth night that night that was great and brought our youth together. In the midst of a pandemic, like all these good things were happening, and I had this confidence but it didn't take long later in that week for condemnation to set in. And that heart, it's a good prosecutor, right? Like courts dismissed, I thought, but it's bringing the accusations once again. And I'm starting to hear, well, you know what? But that guy on Instagram, his church, they're doing better things. And you know what? Like that, I mean, it was a great service, but we're still wearing masks. I mean, that's not that great. I mean, yeah, two services in the midst of that, but... But everybody, like, my glasses were getting fogged up with the mask. It wasn't that great. I start to think about, like, kids' ministry, like, this is just letting you into my heart, okay? I'm just, you can share with me your vulnerabilities later. I'm sharing with all of you right now. And you know what? The biggest accusation, I think, if I could sum it up, was none of this matters. 
Like that Saturday, community group leader training, the youth night, two services, car seats, like it didn't really matter. And I started to hear that accusation from my heart. And about that time, I was hanging out with my five-year-old daughter and we were sitting outside by my pool. The rest of the family was out doing something. It was just me and my five-year-old daughter. And she says to me, Dad, let's play church. I'm like, girl, I told you I'm depressed about church right now. Like, all these accusations are coming around church, and none of this matters. And she's like, Dad, let's play church. And she gets up, and she starts singing what John says. She says, our God is greater. And she's raising her hands. And she says, Dad, I'll eat worship. You preach. <laughs> And so I had to come up there and preach, and she's leading worship, and she even led communion people. This is my daughter, five years old. And she's like, for some reason, we didn't have wine, she said. She said, and today we only have crackers, no wine. I don't know why she excluded the wine, but she did. And we went through worship, sermon, and communion with my five-year-old daughter. Come on. And I didn't just think about the truth of what we were saying, like God is greater, like what John was saying. I was thinking, okay, the accusation was what? None of this really matters. And then God showed me confidence in the midst of con condemnation. It all matters. You know how? My daughter knew how church went. My daughter knew that church was when the people of God gather, empowered by the Spirit of God to worship God. You know how she knew that? Because of a pandemic. Because we don't have kids ministry yet. And because every single Sunday for the last 10 weeks, you know where my five-year-old daughter has been? In the front row. So she saw worship, she saw communion, and she saw a sermon. If it wasn't pandemic, I'm gonna just be honest with you, my daughter would be in kids ministry. <laughs> like for the sake of my wife, right? Amen, parents? Like I'm just being honest with you today. Can I be real with you today? She'd be in kids ministry. If it wasn't for the pandemic and wasn't for the mask, my daughter wouldn't experience what she's experienced in here. And, and, but she has. You know why? Here's the truth in the midst of the accusation. Here's the confidence in the midst of the condemnation. It all matters. Even the parts we can't see, they matter. Even when my three kids are sitting with my wife in church every single Sunday, it matters. It's getting ingrained in her at a young age what it's like to worship God with the people of God, what it's like to sing to God, what it's like to, to talk about God through preaching his word, what it's like to take communion. And I don't know if she'd get all those things if it weren't for the chaos. See, God brings confidence in the midst of condemnation, even to your pastor. And he wants to do that for you. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it was, hey, none of this matters. What is it for you? Maybe it's that sin that just looms over you. Every time you think about praying to God in a private moment, that sin comes back. Who do you think you are? Who are you praying to God? We all know who you really are. What is that exact accusation for you? Maybe it's a conflict with somebody else. Maybe it's something relational, and it just pops in your mind, and it's that inner prosecutor. What is that for you? God wants to speak confidence in the midst of that condemnation. For some of you, that's why you're here this morning. And so you need to involve God in the conversation, right? That's why we, we're going to pray in a moment. We're going to sing Involve God in the conversation. Don't go back and forth with your prosecutor. Bring the judge in the room. Bring your perfect heavenly father in the room. He's the one who has authority to tell your heart what to think and do. 
Bring them in. You're the beloved child of God. He wants you to be confident. Will you walk in that? Will you experience that confidence even this morning, even in the midst of the condemnation, even in the midst of the accusation? God wants to bring confidence. But you got to invite him in. Let's do that now as we pray. Father, thank you that when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward we can look and see you there who made an end to all our sin. God, that you are greater than our heart. And even when we're tempted to think our heart is up here and you're a little bit below that, God, you remind us today you're greater. You're greater. Your word is greater. Your truth is greater. Your character and nature, your person and work, it's all, it's all greater than our heart. Whatever accusation the enemy is bringing against us, our own heart is bringing against us, God, you are greater in this moment. Help us to walk with that kind of confidence. God, if we need conviction this morning, God, I pray we'd receive the conviction and experience confession and repentance and forgiveness, but not condemnation. God, may every person watching this, every man, every woman, every child, Realize they are a beloved child of God if they are in Christ. And God, as we sing in your presence before you, there is fullness of joy. Why? Because we're confident in you. So we, we can sing with joy. We can sing with gladness. We can sing with declaration. Because you have made us confident children of God. Because you're a perfect heavenly father. May we know that. If we don't know anything else when we leave here, may we know that. May we sing out of that reality. May we even now, in the name of Jesus Christ, say amen with that kind of confidence. And everybody said amen.